Thank you for tuning in to Journey Church's podcast. We are so excited that you decided to join us for our sermon series, Unfinished, where we discuss how our current situation is not our final situation, and God's work in our life is simply unfinished. Hope you enjoy. It's my birthday, and uh, 30, 31 years old, and I know that that's young for a lot of us who call Journey Church home, and I think it's ironic that as some people are sitting down and judging me because I call it old, there are other people sitting down who are expecting me to die in a month, you know. <laughs> I'm talking about our 16-year-olds who, who call Journey Church home. They're like, oh my God, you're 30? Oh, do you need like a walker? Or like, are you like on Medicaid? Or like, how does that work? Or, you know, and, uh, and it will happen to you is what I want to tell you. It will happen to you. That's right. And so, um, you know, birthdays, when you, when, you, when you start to enter your 30s, they begin to change. I experienced something this year that I had not experienced at other birthdays of my life. Before I was in my 30s, every birthday was a celebration of, uh, you know, of, of what God had done. And birthdays in our house are especially special now because a lot of you know our story and we lost a child at a very young age. And so my wife and I, we just appreciate life. We just appreciate life. And every birthday now is an opportunity to celebrate and appreciate life. But something happened when we're in our 30s. Now, it's, where I'm, it's, it's like we're celebrating the fact that I've lived so long which I'm like, awesome, yeah, 31 years, that's great. Like, I could have probably died a bunch of times, you know, thank you, Jesus, for not making that happen. And so, you know, but then I'm also at the same time now reflecting that I don't have much time left. And so I'm caught now. I'm caught between, between being grateful for all that God has done, but reflecting on all that I feel is still left undone. Is there anybody like that here today? who is grateful for the things that God has done in your life, but you cannot help at the same time but reflect on all the things that you would consider to still be left undone. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you, maybe you never, you, you're 30, you're 40, or whatever, you, you still haven't written that book, you know? Uh, you're still single, you know? And, and, and your skin's not getting any, you know, you know you're, you're uh, don't take it personal. Um, you're, you know, you still don't own your home. You know, you still don't have kids. You know, you still haven't started that business. You know, um, is there anything in your life that you feel is undone or unfinished? That is the spirit of this sermon series that we're getting to launch today. If you're one of those people who, who, are, who, who is grateful for the past but also wondering about the future, this is for you and this is for your friends. And so I want to introduce to you our theme verse. This is also our vision for the second year, unfinished, our second year of of, uh, of our life as a church. And I want to introduce you to the theme verse. The theme verse is going to be in the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. And here's what I want you to do with this verse. I don't just want you to read it. I want you to memorize it. And so, and I've never asked that for you before. I've never asked you to memorize a scripture, but I need you to memorize this verse because this verse I'm about to read is going to be not just a verse. Hear me, it's going to be a weapon. It's going to be a weapon against insecurity. It's going to be a weapon against comparison. It's going to be a weapon against doubt. It's going to be a weapon against fear. In your life, when you begin to feel those emotions, you need to quote this verse. And you can't do it if you don't have it memorized. And so let's go ahead and do it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Why don't we read it together, all right? Just kind of follow my lead. And I am certain. That was not good. We're going to start again. All right, you're going to follow my lead. Okay, you ready? One, two, three. And I am certain that God who began the good work, pause, okay, actually, I need a little emphasis on the good, because my point is going gonna, is gonna to rest on that, and so what we're going to say is, and I am certain of this, that the God who began the good, okay, I need you to shout the good part, this is the last time, I promise, if you do it well, 
After three, not on three, after three. People always say on three, one, two, three, and then speak. That's not how you, it's after three, okay? After three, one, two, three. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Is that not good? That's a good passage of scripture, man. And I want to look at it for a second because uh, a couple of things stand out to it, uh, to me when I read it. And we'll be touching all these different things that stand out as we delve into this sermon uh, series. But the first thing I want to point is this right here. And I am certain that God, who began the good, somebody say good, work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. Everybody say finished. Well, I don't know if you caught it, but I caught it and it blew my mind. What? That Paul, listen, called the work good before he called it finished. He called the work good before he called it finished. And I have trouble with that because typically unfinished work is not good work. You would not stand for unfinished work if you hired somebody to do something in your house. Amen? You wouldn't do it. You would not stand. If the, you don't have a good garbage man. If the garbage man comes on whatever day he comes to your house and he only picks up the recyclables because they don't smell and they're light, but he leaves your dog waste-ridden trash can, your smelly, and he leaves that, and then he, you don't, he's not a good garbage man if he only does half of the work. Your doctor is not good. If you go for your appointment, you get there, and you're like, and you're like hey, doc, uh, I've been sneezing, been coughing, I think I have a cold. And he's like, well, let me check your, uh, your temperature, let me run some tests. Hey, you're right, you got a cold. Now have a great day. You'd be like, uh, well, thanks, doc. I uh, appreciate the diagnosis, didn't really need the diagnosis. What I could really use uh, is a prescription. Can I have that, right? We would not settle for any work that is half done or, 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 or definitely call it good. It's not good. If you sit down to eat, <laughs> and I laugh. I laugh because I had to ask my wife for permission to share this story. The very first time Liz ever made me dinner as a married couple, so we get that. She already said it was okay. She already said it was okay. I, asked, I don't be telling these stories without her permission. I know who I go home to, okay? So you're like, that was a good message. <laughs> Sleep on the couch, all right, because this is unfinished. And in the morning, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> so so, she, so she, she makes me rice and chicken, which I'm, you know, I'm, you know, of a Puerto Rican. And so I pretty much grew up with rice and chicken. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling vibes, you know? I'm like, this is what my mom used to make here, good vibes. So I'm like, this is good. This is awesome. This is cool. And so she, she makes it. And when I look at the chip, first thing that stays out is the fact uh, that it's pink. And I don't know much about chicken, but I have a feeling it's not supposed to be pink. But I gave her the benefit of the doubt because I grew up in a home with, where we used a special kind of seasoning that made the chicken orange. So I'm just thinking, maybe she got some special kind of seasoning. I don't know. Maybe this is like Sasson light. I don't know what's, it's pink. I don't, pink is really close to orange and maybe she, you know, I don't know. But so I gave her the benefit that I didn't say anything and I grabbed my fork and my knife and I start to cut. And guys, when I cut, that was when I saw, because I knew pink on the outside might be okay, but pink on the inside. 
I cut, I can't even cut. It's not making the sound that chicken's supposed to make when you, which is silent. It's making this sound. I open the chicken and there's like no lie. There's like blood in the chicken. Guys, I'm 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 telling you, this chicken had a better chance of flying than it did of being digested. Okay, it's just it's, it was unfinished. And unfinished is not good, okay? Listen, I know a lot of pregnant women, and I, and I know a lot of pregnant women, they get excited when they get pregnant. Woo, they put the stick, you know, Instagram, woo, they got the plus or whatever, the minus, I don't know how it is, but they got the thing, and yeah, two dots, yeah, blue, yeah, pregnant. I know a ton of people, they get excited when they get pregnant. Haven't met one woman that's excited about being pregnant, though. Nobody is like, woo. Nine months of back pains, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, I love it, yeah. Nine months of weird cravings, yes, yes. 40 weeks of uncontrollable hormones, watching Elmo and crying and not knowing why. I love it. No, but when that baby comes out, it's a party, okay? Half because you just gave birth. Other half because you're finished, girl. You did it. It's over. It's easy to celebrate the things in our life that are finished, but real tough to celebrate the things in our lives that are led unfinished, that are left unfinished. And, and that's why I'm confused, and that's why I'm about to abandon this passage, and I'm reading, and I'm like, Paul, Paul, what are you thinking? How could you call a work good? Before you call it finished. But then I remembered who wrote it, and more importantly, who he was writing to. His name is Paul, and you might know a little bit about him. He was apostle. He started churches. But the place that he was writing to, you might not know a lot about. The place he was writing to is this city called Philippi. Well, Philippi was a major city of commerce, a major city of influence in the region of Macedonia, which is part Greek, and it's just a super important place. And Paul gets a vision to preach in the region of Macedonia, starting in its most popular city, Philippi, which is a challenge because Paul is a church planner, but up until now, he's never planted a church where there hasn't been a synagogue. You see, Paul was Jewish, and so the way that he would always start the message about Jesus Christ is by finding a common base with the people he was speaking to. He was always speaking to people who were Jewish, and they had synagogues, and they were waiting for someone called the Messiah, who was the rescuer of the world. And so he was used to going to the synagogue, which is, you know, the Jewish church, and saying, hey, you guys have waiting for the Messiah? I know who he is. He's Where is he? Well, he died. Um, but he's alive now. Gotcha. You know, like psych, you know. And that's just kind of how he did it. But for the first time, he's going to Philippi. Here's what's significant about Philippi. There's not one synagogue in the entire region. So now this guy has got to start a church in a city that has no reference point. So he gets into Philippi. And he's, you know, he's nervous, I'm sure, but he knows that God called him there. And he ends up going to this river to get some water, I guess. I don't know what he was thinking, but he gets there, and he meets this woman, and he begins to tell this woman about God. I don't know. He says, the Bible says, or he says in his letters that he heard the woman talking about something, you know, and he just took advantage of that opportunity. Sometimes you got to do that. You know, when you got friends in your life, and they start to talk about life and about the troubles of life, sometimes you just jump in and be like, I know somebody. You know, you just need to, oh, you're having a bad day? Let me tell you about who had a bad day. Jesus. No, don't do that. You do want to be on the lookout for opportunity. So he sees this woman. Her name is Lydia, and he begins to preach the gospel to Lydia. Guys, 
Lydia gives her life to Jesus with zero reference point, brings her whole family. That same day they get baptized in the very river they were drinking out of. It's a miracle. Not only that, but if there was one person to get saved in a brand new city with no church, it'd be someone like Lydia. Lydia, I don't know how to say this, but Lydia was a baller. Lydia was affluent. Lydia's job was to make purple linen. Why is that important? Because purple was a very rare color. It was very hard to make. And so she was able to upcharge what she made. So she had money. In other words, Lydia was a part of Paul's legacy team. You know what I'm talking about? We talked about the legacy team last Sunday. It's a group of businessmen, entrepreneurs, realtors, doctors in our church who are helping us to get the mission out there by planning new churches, by starting campuses, buying cameras, all that. She's a part of, she just gets saved. And she's not just there. She's, she's affluent. Not only that, the only people who wear purple are the leaders, the senators, the emperors, the governors. The, 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 the people who run stuff. And so she's fitting these people. Are you catching it? The person who gives her lives to Jesus is having an audience with the people who can actually make things happen. And so Paul's like, tell me what you do. Lydia's like, well, Paul's like, this is off to a great start. This is off. I mean, I love the homeless man. I want to Jesus die for the homeless man, but you're going to help me reach a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. So he is pumped and he's excited. Right after that meeting, he heads into the town square, getting ready to preach the gospel. But before he can preach a word, he gets interrupted. He starts to tell, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. Let me tell you about Jesus. But he can't even preach because there's this young slave girl who is shouting him down. And it's not the good kind of shouting down. Like, I like it when you shout me down when I preach. Please shout me down when I When I preach and you like something, you can't stare at me. It makes me think you don't like me. I need you to say amen. I need you to say, come on, somebody. I need you to, like, throw something at me. Not at me, but in my direction. I need you. It's just, it, know, it lets me know that you're engaged and that we're feeding off of each other. And so I preach better when you talk to me, okay? That's a bad example, man. The perfect example. Of what I, I said, I preach better when you talk back to me. Thank you. Calm down. Um, and, so, and so, but she, she's not even giving, this isn't like that. This isn't encouragement. This is distraction. She's screaming so loud that Paul doesn't even get the chance to preach. He's like, let me tell you about, and then she's over in the back talking about, amen. He's like, <laughs> like, hey, girl. And so long story short, the reason why that girl was doing that is because she actually had a demon inside of her. Now, this demon was unique. It could also allow this young girl to tell the future, which was important because she had a pimp. And this pimp was selling her out to tell people their future. And when Paul casted out the demon from that young girl, she lost the ability to tell the future. And so now her slave owners are beginning to cause a riot because now you're messing with my money. Now you're messing with my money. And so they call the Roman guards. The Roman guards get them. They throw them in jail. They beat them. And before he gets a chance to really preach the gospel, he's locked up. Why am I sharing you this story? Because he's writing the book of Philippi, of Philippians, with a memory from a place where he was unfinished. God sends him a mission to preach the gospel. One person gets saved. It's a great start, but now he can't finish. He's locked up. There's nothing he can do. His, his body is physically bruised. His ego is physically is, is, is bruised. His faith is bruised. His spirit is bruised, which, by the way, are all the symptoms of an unfinished state. You feel it physically, you feel it emotionally, and you feel it spiritually. Amen? And so he's there, and he's unfinished. He's unfinished. He's not sure what to do. So how does he respond? Well, he doesn't do what many of us do, and that's what's so important. That's what I want to tell you. Many of us, when we're faced with the things in our life that are unfinished, when we feel like we've reached a point where we can't go no more, a lot of times we'll throw in the towel. 
a lot of times we'll just say, hey, I've done all that I can do. Come on, have you ever been at the decision-making point of quitting and you know that the last thing in your mind is, I've done all that I can do, right? Well, if Paul is there, he's thinking, I've done all that I can do. There's really nothing left for me to do. This started out well, but there's, oh, also, and by the way, also, I'm not going to go also, by the way, did you notice that it's super exciting to start things, but really hard to finish them? Like, it's super exciting when you start going to church for the first time in a long time. New church, you're like, oh, I like everybody. Pastor's got cool hair. That's what somebody said in the video last, last week. And, and I love the music, and it's cool. But then when you start getting into a small group, and you start realizing these people got issues, all of a sudden it gets hard to finish. Real exciting to start a relationship. Remember those first days when you started a relationship? Oh, I love him. He's so cute. Oh, I just love the way he talks. I don't even have to talk to him. Like he, he keeps the whole conversation going. And then a year later, you're like, why won't he shut up? He's always talking. He's always talking. It's really easy and exciting to start, but it's really hard to finish. You know why? Because starting is free, but finishing comes at a cost. Finishing comes at a cost. And so, and now Paul is getting ready to pay the cost of wanting to finish the race. And here's what he does. He doesn't quit. Look what he does. The Bible says that he sings. He's got a buddy named Silas. They hold hands, lift up their hands, and they start to sing. I don't know what song they sing. I like to modernize it. You're never going to love. He loves us. Whatever it was. He starts to sing, and he starts to worship. Hear me when I tell you, you need to learn to sing and worship while you're unfinished. You need to learn to sing and worship in an unfinished state. Because here's what worship does. Worship invites God to finish what you can't. And so you lift up your hands and you say, God, I've come as long as I can come. I've gone as long as I can go. I've done all that I can do. Hallelujah. And then he goes, whoa, all right, that's what I was waiting for. Give me, get, tap out, tap out, because now I'll jump in. You need to worship while you're unemployed. I tried, God. They let me go. They didn't even have a good reason to let me go. And they let me go. Girl, worship. Lift up. He's going to do what you can't do. I'm having problems in my relationship. I thought that we were made for life. I thought that we were made together. But now I found out that he's got this and he's got that. Boy, worship. Girl, worship. Lift up your hands and invite God to finish what you can't. And so he worships, and when he worships, the craziest things happen. An earthquake begins to hit the jail cell. The chains fall off the ankles. The chains fall off the wrist. The doors fly open. Every prisoner is set free. The guard is freaking out. He had one job, keep everybody locked up. Nope. Everybody's free. Everybody's free, and everybody stays because Paul starts preaching. You want to know what that was about? Let me tell you. Ooh, using darkness as an opportunity to shine light. Let me tell you about the chains. Let me tell you about why you're here. It's about this guy named Jesus. The entire jail cell gives their life to Jesus. The guard takes Paul from jail, brings him home so that he can preach the gospel to his family, and then brings him back to jail in the morning before anybody finds out. Revival is starting to hit the city of Philippi. People are hearing about what happens, and you need to understand that now the vision that he got is actually being finished. But there was no way Paul could have done that by just preaching. Are you hearing me? He was actually a bad preacher. He told people, he said, you didn't come follow me because I preached. I wasn't a good speaker. You came because of the power that was displayed through me through the Holy Spirit. And so now the entire city is up, arms and up, because God's doing miracles. And now you got to understand His purpose is being finished 
this hits you like it hit me. His purpose is being finished because he embraced an unfinished place. You see, if he had complained, but God, you called me here. Why are you doing this to me? Where are you at? Nothing would have happened. But if he would have just said, you know what? This is where I am. Finish me or not. I went as far as I can go. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. When he embraced an unfinished place, he was able to see the purpose finish. You need to learn to embrace an unfinished place to sing when things are falling apart. Because when you do that, you make an invitation to God. Let me tell you, I hate to, to speak in, in absolutes, but when you get this, you got this. When you understand that who you are is not who you're becoming, that you don't have to be complete to complete. Preaching way better than you're talking to me right now. I said, when you understand that you don't have to be complete to complete, you're free. And you can begin to preach to yourself, and you don't need me no more. I mean, keep coming. But you won't need me. You know why? Because then you can talk to yourself. You can say, I'm not depressed. I'm just unfinished. I'm not lonely. I'm just unfinished. I'm not broken. I'm just unfinished. I don't care what the doctor says. I'm not sick. I'm just unfinished. I'm not hopeless. I'm just unfinished. I'm not weak. I'm just unfinished. I'm not dumb. I'm just unfinished. I'm not a nobody. I'm just unfinished. Don't call me an addict. Call me unfinished. Call me unfinished. Now you get it. Why he writes in Philippi chapter 1 verse 6. You know that Philippians is known as the book of joy? Which is so crazy to me. Because he's writing from a jail cell. He's arrested in Rome. And he's writing a book of happy, happy, joy, joy. How is it that a man with shackles on his ankles and on his wrist is able to write the book of joy from a jail cell? I'll tell you how. Because he's thinking to himself. He's smiling. He's writing, he's like, how's that song go? Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. The, the guards are like, he's crazy. We need help for this man. Somebody get the doctor in here. The other prisoners are like, what's going on? And he's like, you don't know what I know. He's like, what do you know, Paul? Here's what I know. <laughs> the last time I was in a jail cell, <laughs> yeah, and if he did it before, ooh. He could do it again. And then he writes Philippians 1 6. Therefore, I am certain that the God who began the good work within me will continue until it is finally finished. I was in an unfinished place before, and it resulted in the revival of a key city in the region of Macedonia. I know I might I'd be locked up in Rome right now, but if he did it before, he's gonna finish this too. And boy, was he right. Boy, was he right. Because what happened in the jail cell brought Philippi to their knees back to Jesus. But what happened in Rome, brothers and sisters, we're still reading that letter. We're still reading that letter. In an unfinished place, his purpose is finished. Where are you at today? You're going to embrace it, or you're not going to embrace it. You're going to worship in it, or you're not going to worship in it. So you really got to understand this. So to help you understand this is what this whole sermon series is about. So you got to promise me you're going to keep coming back because here's what we're going to do. In order to really understand what it means to be unfinished, you have to understand first why you're unfinished. That's what we're going to talk about today. Then you have to, yeah, that was just my intro. Um, you're going to focus about, 
Last promise, I'll still get you out in time. We're going to focus, we're going to focus on next week, we're going to focus on when God will finish for all the impatient people in the house. Amen, that's me. Talk about when God will finish. On the third week, we're going to talk about exactly what he's trying to finish. Because I think we think he's trying to finish one thing. He's like, I really don't care about that, but I care about this thing. I'm going to try to finish that. And then on the fourth week, it's going to be our heart for the house Sunday, and we're going to talk about how he finishes it. If you know anything about Journey Church, on special Sundays we go out, you don't want to miss that. But why? Why are you unfinished? In order to understand that, you have to understand what you are. And you are not just a doctor. You are not just a realtor. You are not just a teenager. You are not just a nurse. You are not just a, a, a principal. You are not just a musician. You are not just um, a manager. You are clay. In fact, I've been waiting. I've been waiting till now to give you the message, the title of my message. And so hopefully this hits, but I want you to know this is, this is the title of my message. I'm just clay, and that's okay. Would you tell the person to your right and to your left, I'm just clay. Come on, tell them, and that's okay. I'm just clay, and that's okay. You are clay. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the what? The clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Yeah. All right. Clay. This is actual potter's clay, y'all. Like I bought it on Amazon. Like it's legit. This is the stuff they make that out of. You got to see this, right? This is what they make that out of. It's all messy. I don't know if you can see on my hands. Can you see that on my hands? It's dirty already. Just touching it for a little bit. You are clay. And I don't just mean spiritually or symbolically. You know, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that when God made man, he made him from the dust of the earth. That word earth in Hebrew literally doesn't just mean earth. It actually means clay, which makes sense because you can't make anything out of dirt, right? But out of clay, you can make heads, you know. You can make, this is like that thing from like Star Wars right now. You can make arms. I didn't practice this, but <laughs> look, it's you and me, you know. <laughs> he got, got to clay and he made and he, made, and he made you. And I wonder why he chose clay. Do you ever wonder that? He's the God of the universe, the ultimate, you know, uh, maker. He's a carpenter. He could have picked wood. He's the shepherd. He could have picked wool. He's the owner of all the silver and the gold. He could have chose platinum. You know, that would have been cool. Imagine being made out of gold, just buying stuff with yourself. <laughs> buying stuff for yourself, with yourself. I'll take a house. You know, <laughs> and that. But no. This is my rants. I get on on the side. He chose clay. And I got I to gotta imagine, I got a theory on why he chose clay. First, I believe that he wanted something that could be molded because clay can be molded, and that's important because there's no two people who are alike. And the truth is there's not one piece of handmade pottery that is like another. Each one is unique. Fact. Uh, I feel like he wanted a material that it didn't really matter if it got dirty because it came from dirt. And so the thing that would ruin another material actually just becomes a part of the story of the thing that he's using I think, that's, I think that's part of the reason why he wanted to use clay. And I, and I think, but I really think, and this is the, 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 the point that I kind of really hinge on, I really think that he wanted a material that he could leave his mark in. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a little bit. You don't know me, but I'm coming your way. What's your name? Valeria? Awesome. Valeria, never sit in the front row. All right. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> Valeria, you're going to help me out, okay? Um, do you mind if your hands just get a little bit dirty? Awesome. You used to use clay before? This is a God-ordained. Look at that. So you know if I'm lying, because you could probably call me out on, on, on my fake preacher facts. So, okay. I want you to go ahead and hold that. I want you to squeeze it as tight as you can. Make sure you got it. Squeeze it, squeeze it, squeeze it, squeeze it. Stop. Not that hard, girl. 
I'm just kidding. You did good. All right. They can't see because they're far away. That's a good one. Come here. Can you see that? Those yeah. little lines? Mm-hmm. What is that? Your fingerprint? That's good. Did you know that when God created creation, he spoke everything into existence? He said birds, and they were birds. He said fish, and they were fish. He said chicken, and I guess that's a bird. (laughs) But not you and I. The Bible says he made us with his hands. In other words, you are the only created thing that has on it the fingerprints of God. Here's why that's important. Because a lot of us want to be born like this. Shiny, glazed. That's what this process is called, glazing, right? She knows. Uh, Ready to be used. Come on. Everybody wants to be this. Nobody wants to be this. Messy and dirty and un... Right? Everybody wants to be this. Nobody wants to be this. There's only one problem with this. Touch this. Touch it again. See? If God made you like this, then no one would be able to see this. See, you ain't got it yet or else you'd be like shouting me down. So I'm going to give you some examples. I'm going to give you some examples. That's not a fingerprint. You know what that is? That's every car accident you've been in that you survived. And so when someone says, how in the world did you make it out of that? Did you see pictures of the car? You can say, I'll show you how. You, you, you know what this is? This is every, uh, every this is good, right? So this, this is every job that you were unqualified for that you still got. Yeah. Ten other people talking about, I got more degrees than you. I got more diplomas. Than, how'd you get the job and I didn't? You'd just be like. You know what this is? This is when your baby is beautiful, but you're ugly. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? People keep talking about, how'd your baby get so good looking? I'll be like, I don't know. It was all him. It was all Jesus. It was all Jesus. I'll tell you, you know exactly, you know, funny is you know exactly the babies I'm talking about too and the parents I'm talking about. Right now, you are judging people in your mind right now. In my case, I can do a double point. I can be like, my baby is good because my woman is fine and both of them are because of God's grace all my life. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that every imperfection in your life and in your character is an opportunity to point to evidence that God's hand is on your life. Did I say it too fast? I'll slow it down. Every imperfection in your life and in your character is an opportunity for others and yourself to point to the evidence that God's hand is on your life. You could point. That's why he had to make you like this, all messed up. That's why he made you with an attitude. A stank attitude. Yeah, why? So that you can get in a good small group and then God can use that small group to work you out and then you start meeting friends that you went to high school with and they say, oh my goodness, I remember when you were a jerk. 
What happened? And you can say, let me point to you what happened. The God, I am certain that the God who began the good work within me will continue until it is finally finished. You can point to it. Now, don't you misapply my message. If you're back there, worship team, I need more time. I'm sorry. Is it okay? Can I keep going with this? Don't misapply my message. There are some teenagers in here. Teenagers, well, yeah, I love our journey, students. Yeah, I know what y'all going to do. You're going to go home. Your mom's going to tell can your room and your mom, I'm lazy. And then, and then, because you were emboldened by this message. Because then she's going to say, what do you mean you're lazy? And you'll be like, mom, pastor said, I'm just clay. <laughs> and that's okay. Don't call me lazy. Call me unfinished. You know, just, and I got to. I got to warn you, there's some spouses, husbands, who will not shut off this Sunday's football games to have a genuine conversation with your wife. You never pay attention to me, girl. I'm just clay. You want a whole lot out of clay. I'm just clay, girl, and that's okay. That's what pastor said. No, it's not. I said, no, it's not. Because the moment you refuse to be molded, you cease to be clay. (laughs) I said, the moment you refuse to be molded, you cease to be clay. Clay, man. Clay is a beautiful thing. You know what else is powerful? how clay is formed and where it comes from. Do you know where clay comes from? Do you know where clay comes from? Okay, got you, Valeria. Got you. Got him. You know why? Let me tell you where clay comes from. First, you got to understand that clay is not dirt. Okay? If you try to build something out of dirt, rain comes and washes away. You build something out of clay, it lasts. Clay is strong. Uh, my wife and I went to the Middle East, and they made homes out of clay. There is not a wood structure today that was built in first century A.D. that is still standing today. But you will find clay structures, clay homes that were built in 74 AD that are still standing today in 2017. Clay is super strong. There are actually cities in the Middle East that are built out of clay. So clay is not dirt. So what makes clay clay and dirt dirt? Well, clay and dirt do have one thing in common, and that is that they are both soil. But the way that clay forms is very unique. Clay forms through the process of erosion. What happens is there's mountains and there's, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, clay is found in valleys. And the best clay in the deepest valleys. Oh, that'll preach, won't it? But you know why it's only found in valleys? Because soil starts at the top of a mountain. Everybody knows that a valley is between two mountains, even if those mountains are miles apart. Soil starts at the top of a mountain. And then when it rains, that soil begins to go down the mountaintop. Well, as it's coming down the mountaintop, the process of erosion is also taking place on the igneous rock. And so now it's soil, but now the soil is picking up rock as it passes over time. As it's picking up rock, it's also picking up branches, leaves. If an animal had died, it's picking up bone. It's literally making its way down the mountain, picking up its soil, but it's picking up stuff along the way. And then it settles at the bottom of the valley with all of that. What I'm trying to tell you is that, is that, is that, Clay is literally made stronger by what it goes through. It is literally made stronger 
about what it goes through. So you see, when a clay brick is used to build a house, it's not the clay or the soil that's lifting it up. It's, it's the remains of its past within it that is lifting up the weight of the thing that it's trying to build. Sometimes the things that God is going to use to help you build the life that you want to build are the things in your past that you're trying to run away from. Yeah, see, because the past gets a bad rap. Everybody's always talking about the past, like, you know, you got rid of the past. Go to the past. The past is bad. The past is bad. Forget the past. Forget the past. Don't forget the past. The past isn't evil. The past isn't evil any more than money is evil. Anybody ever heard that money is evil? That's a lie. The Bible doesn't say that money is evil. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And I want to let you know that the past is not evil. It's living in the past that's evil. You got to be able not to live in the past but learn from the past so that when you do get let go from your job, you can take that in perspective because two years ago you lost a grandma. And it taught you how to appreciate and be grateful for the things you have. And so you say, hey, I might have lost a job, but I still got my health. Yeah. I might have lost a job, but I still got my rest of my family. I might have lost a job, but I still got my friends, right? You got to learn from the past and let the past make you stronger. I'm trying to tell you that the people who hurt you don't have to make you bitter. If you allow them, they could make you better. Your past don't got to make you bitter. It can make you better. It can make you stronger. That's what I love about the process. That's what I love about pain. That's what I love about trial. It doesn't just make you stronger. Listen, it also makes you stretchier. Something happens at a molecular level. I got like five more points. This is my last point. I'm just going to, I just can't. Maybe I should do like a part two of this next week. I don't know. But it also makes you stretchier. What happens through that erosion process is that clay, soil changes at a molecular level. It becomes plastic. Now, plastic is not what you and I think. Not plastic like a plastic water bottle that we drink water from. Plastic like the quality, plasticity. Do you know what the definition of plasticity is? Plasticity is the ability for something to be stretched and stay intact. Are you hearing me? I'm saying some of the things that God are putting you through right now, it's not to, it's not to break you or rip you. It's to stretch you because, listen, in order to make a pot, the clay's got to get stretched. In order to make, I don't know what this is, a stick, the clay has got to get stretched. In order to make a pan, in order to make anything, hear me out, the clay has got to get stretched. It's what happens. And so when God wants to expand his purposes on this earth, he has to first stretch his people. On that note, the limit to how God uses you is the, is the limit that you're willing to be stretched to. So you got to be careful because Abraham said, you know, God, I want a child. And God said, oh, I'll do you one better. You're going to be the father of nations. He's like, awesome. All right, but you're going to wait 120 years before you get that kid. <laughs> Look, <laughs> 120 years? God, you are stretching me, bro. 120 years? God, some of the stuff don't even work anymore. God, I don't know if this is going to, 120 years? God, 120 years? Woo, is it stretching? Boom, 120. I got my baby. I'm stretched right now. I'm stretched right now, but I got my baby. Awesome. Now sacrificing my mom, Mariah. I'm sorry, say it again. <laughs> I said I want you to, can you see what God's doing? Sacrifice him on Mount Mariah. He's stretching their faith. I try to tell our staff this all the time, you know, because I give them a lot to do, like a lot to do. By the way, you need to know that, like, none of them are paid. You need to know that so that when you see them and they got those lanyards on, you need to know that they're here because they love God and they love you. 
but I give them a lot. And they're like, JJ, you're breaking us. I'm like, I'm not breaking you. I'm stretching you. Because I care about growing God's kingdom, but not more than I care about growing you. And you cannot grow, and you will not be able to be used if you're not willing to be stretched. So somebody says, you know, I want to be on the worship team. Awesome. We get here at 6 a.m. for setup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I want, to, I, want to, I want to start a small group and love people. Awesome. But before you can love people, you got to learn to trust people. That's hard because I've been hurt a lot. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Hey, I want to, I want to go ahead and, and God, I, I feel you're calling me to start a business. It's going to be awesome. And I, I, it's going to be great. That's great. But before you start that business, try starting tithing. Yeah. So I can stretch you and know that you'll be faithful with the little that I've given you so you can have more. Worship team, you guys can come out. I know what it feels like, though. What's the difference between this and that? How do I know that he's just not up there torturing me? People say, trust the process. You hear that? It's a basketball thing now. The 76ers, they do that. You know, know, raise your hand if you watch basketball. If not, I'll educate everybody. So you got to be bad in basketball to get, like, the best pick. And so there's this team that has intentionally been bad for the last five or six years. And the fans are getting upset because they're like, what is going on? And the, the GM came up with this great slogan. He said, trust the process. We're getting picks. We're building up. Trust the process. Bump the process. I don't trust the process. Here's my advice to you. Not trust the process. Trust the potter. Trust the potter. Last Bible verse, and then we're done. We call it home. We call it, we call it over. Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Uh, he's God, Jeremiah's a prophet. God wants to give Jeremiah a message for his people, for you, and for, for, for you and for me. But he does it through an illustration, just like the illustration I'm doing with you here. He says, Jeremiah, go to the potter's house. I want to teach you something about my people that um, I need them to know. And I believe this is a word for you today. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 3 to 4, goes like this. So I went down to the potter's house, just like God told me. And I saw him, who's him, the potter working on the wheel. This is the wheel, right? This is how it works. The wheel is, it spins. It spins, and the potter holds it, and he shapes it, right? So he's working on the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. We don't really use the word marred too much in today's, you know, vocabulary. Marred simply means messed up, spoiled, ruined. Those would all be synonyms. Uh, he was shaping from the clay, was messed up in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. And then we don't have the next verse, but then the then, then Lord says to Jeremiah, he says, I want you to tell the people that I'm going to do it with them like the potter did it with the clay. It got messed up. Can we throw that verse up there? It got messed up, messed up. Here's what I struggle with this passage. I can understand getting messed up in the club. You're not supposed to be in the club. I can understand getting messed up with the bottle because stuff happens when you get drunk. I can understand being messed up in a divorce. Divorces are painful. What I don't get, hear me, is how the clay got messed up in his hands. Because I was always taught that the will of God is the safest place to be. So how is it that I'm in his hands 
but while being in his hands, I still find a way to mess up. How is that possible? And I started to study. I went deep. I studied the molecular makeup of clay because I know you've been wondering. This is what you have a pastor for, to do the research that you can't do during the week because you have a real job, you know? <laughs> I'm studying, and I find nothing in the molecular clay of makeup, in the molecular makeup of clay. And so then I, I begin to study the art of pottery, and then I start to get closer because I find out that in the art of pottery, you know, the problem is there's a ton of stuff that could go wrong while you're, while you're, while you're making clay. And the, the problem is there's a ton of stuff that can go wrong. And I wanted to know what exactly went wrong so I could preach about it. Make it a whole, you know, 15th point to this sermon. <laughs> I'm like, God, what happened? How did it get messed up? Tell me why it messed up so that I can help our church get through whatever messes them up. And, 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 I, and I looked, and as I was researching, I found out that, you know, sometimes the clay gets messed up because it's off-center. If the clay is not right in the middle, when you turn it, it'll be lopsided towards the direction. And I said, oh, that's good. I can preach that. Because that's what happens when you don't get centered on God. When you make other things the center of your life that are not supposed to be the center of your life. When you make kids the center of your life. When you make your spouse the center of your life. When you make money, job, success, school, graduating, diplomas, the center of your life. When none of those things are supposed to be the center of your life. But Jesus, I said, oh, that'll preach. But the only one any problem, that, that's not in the Bible. So I can't preach that. I'm like, all right, well, um, what else can happen? And I found out that if the clay gets too wet, it can't be molded because it messes with its consistency. I thought, oh, I can preach that. Consistency, always falling apart because you got it all together on Sunday, but you're not consistent enough to take the habits that you're being taught on Sunday and apply them on Monday. And when you're not consistent, it all falls apart. Oh, that'd be good. I could preach that. Only problem is that's not in the Bible either. I'm just taking really good biblical guesses, which is not what a sermon or a preaching is supposed to do or be about. And so finally, as I'm studying, as I'm thinking, as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm meditating, God, why, why, why? And God told me this. He told me this. He told me exactly. I didn't tell you why, because why is not the point. I feel freedom coming over someone who needs to hear this message right now. Why is not the point. The point is whose hands the clay was in. You see, it's not about what happens in life. Those things matter. Don't hear me tell you that they don't matter. It matters that you can't talk to your family a thousand miles away. It matters that you're in a relationship that is hurting you. It matters. Those things, it matters that you don't have a job. I'm sorry. It matters. But what matters more than what's happening is whose hands you're in. He said, Jay, I purposely left it out of the scripture because I wanted your focus to be on the potter and not on the clay. Because there are people who are clay that are trying to do things in their life that only potters can do. And they're carrying burdens that the clay is not supposed to clay. And I want you to tell the church, you're just clay. And that's okay. Stop trying to make yourself and have faith that the potter will help you become what you were born to become. Trust in the potter, not the process. Trust in him that he is faithful, that he is good, and that he will see what he started. I'm telling you, therefore, I am certain that the God who began 
the good work within me is going to finish it. I don't care if it gets marred. I don't care if it breaks. I don't care if it twists, if it turns, if it gets dented. My trust is not in the clay and my trust is not in the process. My trust is in the potter and I am certain that he will finish the good work that he started in my life on the day that Christ Jesus returns. Would you stand up on your feet all over this room? Right away now, lift your hands. Right now where you are, lift your hands. Come on. There's one thing you got to do. Stay on the wheel and stay in his hands. Come on, is there anybody this morning who will tell the Lord, God, I'm staying in your hands. I'm remaining in your wheel. I'm staying in your hands. I'm remaining in your wheel. I'm staying in your hands. I'm remaining in your wheel. I'm staying in your hands. I'm remaining in your wheel. I'm remaining in your wheel. I'm remaining on your wheel. Father God, you see every hand raised right now. God, a spirit of surrender in this place. Men and women, young people, teenagers, Lord God. Relationships who are unfinished. Hear me tell you, embrace this place. Embrace the unfinished things that God is doing in your life because it is through the unfinished things that God will finish his purposes. Just stay on the wheel. You're not the potter, and that's okay. You don't have the power to build yourself, and that's okay. You're just clay, and that's okay. Potter, take the wheel. 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 Potter, take the wheel. Take the wheel. Take the wheel. Father, I thank you in advance for every life that's being impacted here this morning. I pray that as they leave this place, they would have rest and peace in who you are, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Every hand down. Hey, maybe you came into this place and you've never been on the wheel. Maybe you feel like you're clay in the ground. I want you to know the Bible says that when we were nothing, the Bible says but when we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Let me keep the metaphor going. When we were in the ground, he picked us up and put us on the wheel and started working. All you got to do is receive it. Pick me up, Jesus. In church terms, we call that salvation. But here at Journey Church, we call that knowing God. And if you want to know God today, start a relationship with him. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to count to three. If that's you, I want you to shoot your right hand up to the sky as a sign that you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. All over this place, get ready. One, two, three right now. You want to start fresh with the Lord. You want to, there you go. Come on, one, two, three, four. Come on, I see that hand. Five in the back, six, up here, come on, hey, with your hand raised, church, help us all pray this prayer together, pray this prayer with them, don't leave them hanging, Father God, thank you for picking me up when I was nothing but dirt, I receive your purposes over my life, forgive me of my past, prepare me for my future, today I decide to stay on the wheel to stay in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for the six or seven people who gave their life to Jesus Christ? Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to hear how this ministry is impacting your life. If you have any prayer requests or would like to share your testimony, please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. Our team will be there ready to celebrate and pray with you. If God is using this ministry to bless you in any way, you can help us spread the word by making an investment today. You can give at journeyorl.com slash give or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again. Have a blessed week 